accepting somebody's apology and just being calm at them. So it's like when God doesn't be mad at you for um, doing something wrong when you tell him you did it and you ask him to not be mad at you. Like where someone like gives you another chance. Because if it's something that you really didn't want to happen, then that would be hard to forgive. You really don't want to do it, but Jesus wants you to. It makes you happy that you're done with it. It helps you start again with that person and not keep worrying about that same thing over and over again. Wasn't that great? We've really enjoyed having the kids on video with us as uh, as we've gone through this series, Growing Up Again. And uh, aren't you guys glad that you grew up? I mean, really, like, who who really wants to stay a child their entire life, right? Yeah, I don't think so. Or even a teenager. You who who actually wants to stay a, a teenager your entire life? I know I don't want to because I'm a I'm a child of the, of the 80s. Okay. And, and if, I, if I stayed an adolescent all my life, I might look like something like this up here. So, there you go. Kids of the 80s, we may have had stupid hair, but we didn't eat Tide Pods. Okay? Now, I'm looking at that guy's hair, and I'm going, I think I might rather eat a Tide Pod. You know? <laughs> I mean, there are some things like, you know, like some things from the 80s are becoming retro, and they're coming back. I don't think we'll ever see the mullet again. I don't think that's ever going to become uh, become retro. But you know, it's it's we should I think we should bring it back, shouldn't we? Like I wouldn't it be fun to see like Troy Lather, our site pastor in West Bend in a mullet? Like wouldn't that be funny? That'd be cool. Like Oh, there he is. Oh, wow. Hey. Troy sporting a mullet. Like how did that happen? You know? Okay. Oh, please take that off. Yeah, we don't want to see it anymore. So we're talking about growing up again. And you might ask yourself the question, like, why are we talking about the, what, the, what is with the again? Well, all of us, I think, have gone through uh, certain processes or, or a, a procedure of, of learning how to do certain things and being independent from our parents, being able to do those things that, uh, that adults do. And so we've grown up uh, as adults and maturely. But there's this whole other aspect, this whole other category of growing up, and it's growing up to be kingdom people, to to become the kind of people that God intended us for us to become. And have you ever noticed that some people are able to make this transition and others are not? Have you ever noticed that you can, you can see a person who's been a Christian all of their life and their life is still a mess? It's, their relational world is still a wreck. They're still dogged and plagued by the same habits and addictions and destructive tendencies that they might have had uh, years and years ago, even though they've been in church for decades. And, and then you might see another person, and, and this other person, their life was a wreck and was a mess, and their were, relational world was a disaster, and they were headed towards jail or heading towards divorce or headed towards unemployment or something like that. And, and then they repented and they, they trusted Christ, and their lives changed in a dramatic way. Maybe not instantaneously, but over time, you look at them and you're like, you're not the same person that you were 
years ago. And you may ask yourself, what is up with that? What happened there? What, what did they do? And I'll, I'll tell you exactly what they did. They engaged in some very specific, definitive practices that allowed the kingdom of God to begin to penetrate their lives and influence their character so much so that they're almost unrecognizable as the people that they once were. And so the, the, the beginning of the series, we talked about things like humility and, uh, and adopting the posture of humility and learning to consider others uh, more than yourselves. And we talked about the need for repentance, that if we ever want to become those people that God intends us to be, we need to be able to, to really just literally or figuratively fall down on our knees and say to, to God, I know that this is true of myself. I don't want to be that man anymore or that woman anymore. Would you please Please change me. So we, uh, we start with this posture of repentance and forgiveness. But, you know, we, we can practice all those things well, and still we can be stuck in our spiritual development and our spiritual growth. And the one thing that may be sticking us and preventing us from growing to be those kind of people that God wants us to be is this whole idea of unforgiveness. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read verses 21 to 35. We're going to look at those together during the time that we have have today. And um, now the whole context here behind this story is that Jesus is talking about reconciliation and restoring relational integrity. The original kind of seen framing this whole conversation that we're looking at today is verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, okay, if your brother sins against you, and then Jesus begins to say, you do whatever is absolutely necessary to restore that relationship with that other person. Feel free to get that. (laughs) That's all right. Hey, Barbara and Bob and Carla Gilster are back in the house, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back, you guys. Um, so Jesus is saying, you do whatever is necessary to restore relational integrity with that person. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, people are the priority, not things. And so we reflect that priority by maintaining and doing whatever is necessary to, to maintain relational integrity in our relationships with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, when G- Jesus begins to say that, and, uh, and Peter then begins to say, he says, well, Jesus, how many times, how many times am I going to forgive, am I supposed to forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And when, Jesus, when Peter says up to seven times, he thinks he's being extremely gracious extremely generous because the conventional wisdom at the time was that from the pharisees and the teachers of the law is that you needed to forgive a person up to three times and so peter is thinking he's like he's like i'm going over double what the conventional wisdom is of the day i'm saying how about seven times jesus except jesus is not impressed and in verse 22 you see we see this jesus answered i tell you not seven times but 77 times 
Now, if you look at there's a footnote in your Bible and it says some translate it as 70 times seven times. And so you might be thinking, okay, what is it? Is it do we forgive a person 77 times or is it 490 times? How many times do I have to forgive? That's not the point, right? Jesus is saying we as followers of him, as children of, uh, uh, of our good and gracious father, we need to be ready to forgive those who hurt us an unlimited, infinite amount of times. And then in order to make this point, in order to, to really drive this point home, Jesus begins to, as he always does, is he begins to tell a story. The story begins in verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, okay, this, this is what things are like in the kingdom of heaven, in, in God's kingdom. It's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Okay, so this beginning scene is the king brings in the servant and it says that the servant owes him 10,000 talents. Now, I wasn't there at this time, but I can almost guarantee you that when Jesus says this man owes the king 10,000 talents, people like almost giggled. They laughed because Jesus is like throwing out funny numbers here. He's like, he's like, yeah, there once was this man, the servant, and he owed the king a bazillion dollars. Okay. You'll notice if you have, a, if you have an ESV uh, Bible, there's a footnote that a talent is 20 years wages, 20 years wages. So if you make 50 grand a year, a talent is about a million dollars. And this guy owes the man, how many talents? 10,000 talents. Like he owes the king billions of dollars okay like is he ever going to repay this this debt no he's not there's absolutely no way that he can ever repay this debt so he goes on in verse 26 the servant fell to on his knees before him be patient with me he begged and i will pay back everything the servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt and let him go he canceled the debt and he let him go. It's amazing. This, guy, this king, this benevolent king, he doesn't put him on a payment plan. He doesn't say, okay, well, you know, we'll, I'll just take this and, you know, your wife and kids can go free, but you're mine. He doesn't reduce the debt. He absolves him of everything. Just takes the loss himself. By the way, if you haven't caught it, this story is a picture of us each and every person here in this room, we have accumulated a mountain of debt against a holy and righteous God. And every day we just accumulate more. And, and there's absolutely no way, no matter how hard we try, we would never be able to, to make amends. We would never be able to make things right. It's like we owe this king a bazillion dollars. And we're never, ever going to pay it back. And God, in his graciousness, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, absolves us of all of that sin, debt. And he cancels the debt, and he does exactly what the king does in this situation. He lets the man go free. And we are free people. We are free to, to go out and, 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 to, and, to, do, and to live the life that God God offers us. And now you, you would think, you would think that this would change everything. That once a person understands the mountain of debt that 
that they have been forgiven by a good and gracious uh, God, that that would, that would and should change everything in a person's life. But it doesn't in this situation. Pick it up in verse, uh, verse 28. It says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He says it found. He just kind of gives you the idea that he was kind of looking for this guy, okay? He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he, and then what does your word say there? Refused. But he refused. If forgiveness is the picture of what the king does where he cancels the debt and he lets the man go free, unforgiveness is this utter and complete refusal to do that very thing. It's the opposite of that. It's it's the refusal of canceling the debt and letting the person go free. See, forgiveness at its core is an issue of the will. It's an act of the will. We can either choose to engage in it and do it, or we can, as this man did, refuse. And so don't ever say to yourself or to someone else, I can never forgive that person for what they did to me. Because that's not true. You could say, I will not forgive that person for what they've ever done. But you cannot say, I cannot do this. Because forgiveness is essentially an act of the will. It's a choose, choosing to do exactly what the king did. Canceling the debt and letting that person go. And the opposite of that is this absolutely and complete refusal to do that. And it's, it's, this is what unforgiveness looks like. It says, when that servant went, found out, he found on his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. When we refuse to forgive someone who has done something to us, who has sinned against us wrong, it's, and we utter these words, I will never forgive that person for what they have done to us. It's like we, when we nurse that grudge and we refuse to forgive, it's like we are grabbing that person and choking them and demanding that retribution be paid up in full. And it is not a pretty picture. But the reality is, is that while we are choking them, unforgiveness is choking us. It's like a, a plaque that builds up in our arteries over time that refuses to let the blood flow through our veins and into our heart. Unforgiveness is like a plaque in our spiritual lives that refuses to let the love and the grace and the goodness of God flow into our lives. Jesus and other teachings seems to indicate that unforgiveness acts in a similar way. And it prevents the life and love of God from flowing into our heart. And ultimately, we cannot receive all the good things that God has for us. And we slowly die. Have, have you uh, ever met an unforgiving person? They are, by and large, 
Not joyful people, are they? In fact, we think, we foolishly think that, that I can choose not to forgive a person and I can compartmentalize that. I can isolate it in this area of my life, in this aspect of my life, and it won't affect the rest of my life. But when we do that, we are fooling ourselves because unforgiveness is like a cancer and it does not stay contained to one area of our life. It begins to penetrate and permeate. And people who choose not to forgive become unforgiving people. And bitterness and resentment begin to become the dominant ethic in their lives. And it just chokes the life right out of them. See, we think that we can isolate unforgiveness and choose not to forgive an individual person and not let it affect the rest of our lives. But the reality is, is that we are inextricably connected and it does affect us. It affects our character. It impacts our soul. And we become unforgiving people. But the opposite is that we have a choice. We have a choice to, like the king did, cancel the debt and let that person go. And the best illustration of forgiveness that I know of is that when you, when you, when someone has done something to you, when someone has harmed you, when someone has victimized you, when you've been, when you've been violated by someone, it's like you have a folder in your hands of all the evidence, all the condemning and convicting evidence that that person has ever done against you. And as long as you hold on to the folder, that gives you the right to be able to condemn that person and to judge that person. And we love the folder. We, we love to hold on to the folder. Because as long as we hold on to the folder, we are in control. We have that right to convict and condemn that person. But as long as we hold on to the folder, the folder is killing us. And it's preventing the love and the life of God from flowing into our lives. And the best thing to do with this folder when anyone has done anything to you at all is to take that folder and say to God, God, I don't want to carry this around anymore. I don't want this right or responsibility to convict or judge this person any longer. And I'm going to place this folder into your loving and capable hands and I'm going to trust this person's future and the decision in this situation over to you. And I release my right to judge them and convict them any longer. That's what forgiveness is, is you're letting go of the folder. But we, we don't want to let go of the folder. We like the folder. The, the folder gives us the power to convict and can condemn. But if we hold on to the folder we will never, ever grow up to become those kind of people that God wants us to become because the folder is actually choking the life out from us. So it's finally spring outside, right? That's kind of nice. Whenever it's spring, this kind of reminds me of, of the days that we lived in Siberia. Some of you know that our family lived in, in Russia for almost a decade. And um, yeah, I understand it's the wrong vacation destination, but it was on the itinerary. But, uh, but we lived there, and, and, and Siberia has some very interesting geographical features. It's 
one of the er- only areas in the world where the rivers run north, okay, rather than, rather than south. And because they run north, that's interesting enough as it, as it is, but in the springtime, you have a recurring problem every year. That is that in the south, the snow starts to melt and everything like that, and the waters start to flow, and they flow north. But what, has, what hasn't happened yet in the north? It's thaw. It's still frozen ice pack in, in the north. And so every single year, you have the same thing happen. These rivers overflow their banks, and they create these huge marshes and bogs that no one can live in. And they're putrid, and they're filthy, and you can look at maps if you, have a, if you have a topographical map of Siberia, you can, in the middle of the country, there's just these huge marshes that won't ever go away because every spring the waters thaw and they can't get out in the north. And so they just collect and they stagnate and they turn putrid. I can't think of a better picture of what happens to our soul when we categorically refuse to forgive another person. It's like all the pain and bitterness and hurt in our lives has nowhere to go. And it just bottles up inside of us and it stagnates and it turns foul and it pollutes our very soul. This is why one of the most common, uh, common side effects of, of long-term unforgiveness is depression. Because all those feelings have nowhere to go and they just overflow their banks and they pollute our very souls. But one year, what the Russian, Russian Air Force did is that things had gotten so bad. There was such a huge thaw and the waters just flowed north so fast and they're creating such these huge marshes that, that whole villages and towns were being threatened. And so what they did is they sent in the Russian Air Force and MiG fighter jets went up to the mouths of the rivers near the, near the, the Arctic Ocean and they dropped bombs on the ice and blew up the ice. So that, so that all the water could run out and finally run free into, into, the, into the sea in the north. And, and I just think that I can't think of a better picture of what happens in a person's life when they choose to let go of the folder and say, God, I don't want to carry this around anymore. It's way too heavy for me. And so I entrust the verdict in this situation over to you and I absolve myself of any judgment or condemnation and I forgive this person. When you do that, it's like God just blows up that dam of ice in your life and all that pain and all that hurt begins to flow out and the goodness and graciousness and the joy of God begins to flow back in to your life. We're dealing with a few situations over the last six months here at Kettlebrook. Different people, but similar situations. And in both of these situations, we have people who have been violated and harmed in unspeakable ways when they were children. And in one situation, that gal has gone through the hard work of forgiving her perpetrator and letting him go and handing over that file to a good and gracious God. And today she's one of the most joyful people you'll ever see. I love running into her because she's always got a huge smile on her face. 
the joy of the Lord has just become a dominant ethic in her life because she's chosen to let go and forgive. And in the other situation, that person isn't there. They're not close. And they're choosing to hold on to bitterness and resentment and they've uttered those words, I will never forgive that person for what they've done. And as a result, they are becoming an angry and bitter person and the life of God is being choked right out of them. But the thing is, is that we have a choice. We always have a choice. We can choose to cancel the debt and let that person go or we can refuse. It's our choice. So if you had a folder this morning, whose name is on that folder? Whose folder are you carrying around with you? Whose folder have you maybe been carrying around with you for years and you don't even know it? I want to encourage you today to consider taking that step of giving that folder and saying, God, I don't want the right to convict this person and condemn this person any longer. That right belongs to you. And I realize, God, that you have a whole file cabinet of files against me and folders against me and what I've done to you and you have chosen to throw it away into the deepest ocean never to be seen from or even remembered again. And so I entrust this file over to you because I want to be children of my loving Father. In fact, there's a verse in Colossians chapter 3. I skipped through it, but if you can put it up here. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, God in Jesus Christ is our model in this. We want to be children of our Heavenly Father who in Jesus Christ, forgave us for everything that we've ever done for him. And so we want to go out and we want to represent him. We want to reflect him. And the way that we do that is we choose to be forgiving people. In the recovery movement that I'm uh, a part of, because we're all in recovery, right? There's a step in one of the steps. And one of the steps that we take in order to really go through this process of recovery. It says, we made a list of all the people who have harmed and hurt us. And we systematically go through that list and do some house cleaning and choose to forgive those people. Because the recovery movement understands what Jesus has always taught. If we don't forgive the people who have hurt us and harmed us, It will act as a clog. It will act as a deterrent to our growth and growing up to become the kind of people that God wants us to be. So this week, I want to encourage you to take some time to be alone with God. Ask Him to reveal to you if there's anyone in your life 
that you're still holding on to that folder and, and say, God, would you please give me the strength and the courage and the ability to let go and forgive that person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to grow up. Help us to become those kind of people that you've intended us to be. For many of us here, the deterrent, the, 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 the blockage to our growing up in you is this whole area of unforgiveness. So God, if there's anyone here who's struggling with this area, who hasn't yet given over that folder of maybe their ex, maybe their parents, maybe an employer, maybe a childhood friend, whoever it is, I pray that you'd give them the power by your Holy Spirit to let that person go. And in doing so, may we see the kingdom flood into their lives and things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness begin to flood into their lives. Once again, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.